snippets of timeless classics with ramblings on everything bookish, Ink and Quill connects you with literature, culture and writers in China and around the globe. Discovering literature and following the stories behind your favorite authors, this is Ink and Quill. I'm your host, Yang Yong. Ken Liu might sound like an unassuming name to many of our listeners, yet in the American literary scene, he is one of the leading new voices in speculative fiction. I like to take something that we usually think of as a metaphor, for example, how love makes inanimate objects、mm-hmm. seem alive,、mm-hmm. and I take that kind of metaphorical way of looking at the world, and I make it literally true. Born in the city of Lanzhou, China's Gansu Province, Liu migrated to the United States with his parents at the age of 11. By day, he's a litigation consultant working on cases involving technology. By night, he's an author whose subject matters span from time travel, alternate history, to hard sci-fi and futurism. In 2012, Ken Liu's heart-wrenching short story, *The Paper Menagerie*, became the first fiction to make a clean sweep of the Hugo, Nebula, and World Fantasy Awards, three of the most heavyweight prizes in the world of science fiction and fantasy. His novels, *The Grace of Kings* and its follow-up, *The Wall of Storms*, are held as epic feats that changes the fantasy landscape. There's this idea that there can be only one kind of fantasy, which is based on medieval、uh, Europe. I wanted to write a kind of fantasy that feels very different and draws on both very old Western epics and a lot of old Chinese and、uh, East Asian historical romances and,、mm. and legendary stories. Recently, this Boston-based author came to Beijing to attend the Chinese Nebulas. Our reporter Shi Yu seized the opportunity to talk with Ken Liu, and their conversation started with her asking him what fueled his passion in the speculative fiction genre. I actually can't say I have a particular interest in genre per se.、Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know some readers find genre labels very helpful because it、yeah. helps them. Figure out what books to buy and what books they might like. I, I never did. For me, genre labels were always very arbitrary. And when I started out writing, I, I wasn't thinking that I would write for a genre. I just wanted to write stories I wanted to write.、Mm-hmm. Um, it just happens that afterwards、um, they get classified as you know science fiction or、yeah. fantasy or magic realism or whatever.、Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, they're all just stories about making some sort of metaphor literally true,、uh, mm-hmm. which is. The kind of story I like to tell. I, I like to take something that we usually think of as a metaphor. For example, how love makes inanimate objects、mm-hmm. seem alive,、mm-hmm. um, and I take that kind of metaphorical way of looking at the world, and I make it literally true. And、mm-hmm. I, I actually write a story in which a mother's love makes these paper animals come to life. And、yeah. so, I like to take a thing that is usually thought of as merely. Um, a metaphorical truth and turn it into a literal truth.、Mm-hmm. But you're talking about metaphors. Even though many of your stories they have this hard science fiction premises,、mm-hmm. you know, which are fantastic in their、mm-hmm. own right.、Mm-hmm. But what really strikes me is how you render like subjects like love, family, human attachment,、mm-hmm. and you know the subject is quite evident and rampant. In many、mm-hmm. of your works,、mm-hmm. like Memories of My Mother,、mm-hmm. I know it's adapted into a short film. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I don't know. Is it something you consciously intended to write about, or it's just something you know naturally comes to you? I think they're just 
they happen to be the kind of stories that I really enjoy listening and to and, and telling. Um, I mean, I think I think a lot of times in modern literature, for example, love tends to be very focused on just romantic love, yeah. and and there doesn't seem to be enough attention paid to all the other kinds of love, you know, parental love, family love, friendship, and mm-hmm. the love between siblings. And I, I like to explore those kind of relationships a lot. I, I think I just naturally gravitate towards stories that involve characters engaging um, in and exploring complicated relationships and mm-hmm. then I use uh, the technique of, uh, of speculative fiction mm-hmm. uh, you know some sort of fantastical element that right. that represents an allegorical truth and, mm-hmm. and then I write the story around that mm-hmm. I know you are a programmer as mm-hmm. well as a lawyer mm-hmm. so how do you two professions help you you know in writing I think there's a lot of uh, actually overlap in the kind of uh, skills I develop as a programmer and as a lawyer um, in terms of me as a novelist. Uh, I mean, for me, I think of all three professions as as involving a kind of engineering because you're building Mm -hmm. artifacts out of symbols. Um, So when you're a programmer, you're you're building programs, uh, essentially machines Mm -hmm. made out of software that will achieve a certain result. Mm -hmm. When you're a lawyer, you're you're writing legal machines, uh, contracts or briefs that Mm -hmm. will lead to a certain result, either give your client what they need or Mm -hmm. try to persuade the decision maker of a certain result. When you're writing fiction, it's the same thing. You're building an emotion machine out of words. And the idea is to lead the reader on an emotional journey and to have the reader experience a certain kind of emotional experience that you want them Mm -hmm. to have. Um, so I think the three are actually very related because they're all about engineering and craftsmanship. You're, you're, you're trying to craft these very complicated symbolic artifacts, mm-hmm. symbol machines that mm-hmm. achieve a certain result. And so there's a lot of learning about the larger principles of engineering of how to build a good program, how to build a good, um, how to write a great contract and how to write a good story. Mm-hmm. And also very small parts and where, where you try to really get your voice. And because every programmer has a particular style of mm-hmm. writing just the way she wants to. And every a lawyer has a particular way that she'll feel comfortable in terms Mm -hmm. of drafting a contractual clause Mm -hmm. and achieving certain results because there are many ways to achieve the same result but Mm -hmm. everybody ends up picking one um, uh, that's unique to them and writers do the same there there are many ways to achieve uh, a desired emotional response and every writer ends up learning a particular way of crafting that path Mm -hmm. that, that makes it feel uniquely hers and so um, you know that's I think those are all connected techniques and connected mm-hmm. skills mm-hmm. that you develop over time. So you just mentioned about it's kind of the same thing because is it your drive to build this imaginary machine? That, that I, I think so I like building things mm-hmm. and so I think building imaginary machines like mm-hmm. you put it is, is exactly right I, I like to imagine machines and build them and in fact the kind of fiction I write involves imagining new machines or new oh. kinds of magic. Mm-hmm. So it's all very much connected. So is it the drive makes you transform from writing short story to freelance novels? Because for the past decades, you have already made yourself a name by writing short stories. But in recent two years, you have published two quite, I would say, quite lengthy novels. Right. I, I think it's really just because I got tired of crafting a whole world and then leaving it so soon. I wanted to actually spend some time in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, and usually with the short stories I you know, create this world and then I get to spend maybe five thousand words exploring and then I have to yeah. leave and do something new. Um so I wanted to see if I can 
craft world that I really enjoyed, and、mm -hmm. I, I can spend two hundred thousand words just living in it and getting to know it really well and exploring its nooks and crannies and getting to know the characters well.、Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about your epic fantasy series,、sure. the Dandelion Dynasty.、Mm -hmm. I was wondering, how did that series, you know, come into being? I wanted to pick something、um, big to、mm -hmm. write about as、uh, for my novel, and so I wanted to create a new kind of aesthetic that I call silk punk. So silk punk is kind of like steampunk,、uh, mm -hmm. whereas steampunk is all about using the technology vocabulary of Victorian England to、mm -hmm. explore this semi-science fictional, semi Fantasy kind of landscape, and、mm, to、yeah. work out,、um, you know, what kind of in interesting machines you can invent,、mm -hmm. and what kind of interesting stories you can tell in the milieu of Victorian England、uh, yeah. political uh, landscape.、Um, soap punk is sort of similar in that I wanted to explore the implications of a technology vocabulary built upon ancient engineering legends and engineering practices、mm -hmm. in、uh, the classical in classical East Asia, so China, Japan, and Korea.、Mm -hmm. So you know, I take ideas about、um, very very old Chinese inventions and and, and perhaps、uh, legends about Chinese inventions,、uh, and then I take these. Uh, and I expand and exaggerate the technology vocabulary、mm -hmm. the same way that you do with steampunk to、um, create a semi-science fictional, semi-fantastical set of amazing machines、mm -hmm. that populate a fantasy world. So the difference is in steampunk, you're still you know setting the stories in our world, but for my fantasy, they're not in this world at all. It's in、mm -hmm. a fantasy world、mm -hmm. that that has nothing to do with the earth. Um, maybe alternative universe.、Uh, can, yeah, you can say an alternative universe. Yeah, yeah and、uh, and in the same way that you know,、uh, a sound of ice and fire uses、um, the War of the Roses as a sort of a starting point for the plot. And、mm -hmm. I, I take a period of Chinese history, the founding of the Han Dynasty, as sort of the starting point for the plot for the book. But it's not really about history at all. It's really about the fantasy world. And I wanted to use this set of. Machines and characters and philosophical traditions to explore ideas about power and about how you can engineer more successful,、mm -hmm. interesting kinds of power. Because power, after all,、um, is also a kind of engineering. Because、uh, when you're talking about、uh, technology, we normally think of you know machines. Yeah. But in fact, technology also covers things like the technology of collective decision making.、Mm -hmm. So things like、um, kings, parliaments. Uh, courts, juries,、uh, lobbying groups—you know—all these modern and ancient political institutions and practices are also a kind of technology. And、yeah. so, I wanted to use my novel to explore a parallel evolution of of these kind of technologies as well. You know,、mm -hmm. that's the punk part, because punk is about appropriating old things to、mm -hmm. like, for new purposes. And so, in the soap punk world. A lot of what I do is exploring how you can take some very old ideas in our political history and、mm -hmm. in our、uh, philosophical traditions and use them to say new things, to、mm -hmm. explore new ideas that we never did here,、mm -hmm. and, and to ex explore new ideas about how the world can be reconstituted and reconstructed.、Mm -hmm. You know what you mentioned kind of reminds me of something I find on Chinese online fiction,、mm. and I realize some Chinese writers they need to they want to you know travel back to time you know to imagine if China have went through some tremendous sure. industrial advancement. Sure, 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 sure. That's not really the sort of thing I do because this is not about real history. You know,、right. I don't. I don't. It's not really alternative history. But I, I like to explore the idea of how. 
um, you know, it's like sort of doing steampunk. You know, why do you want to imagine steampunk? It's、mm -hmm. like we have a whole new world of new technologies. Why do we care about what would happen to these old technologies?、Okay. Well, it's, it's kind of cool、mm -hmm. to imagine what would happen. And steampunk is like, I mean, steampunk is like that. It's sort of like saying, let's take these old things and and do something new with them. Also, you know, I think part of the idea here is there's there's this idea that.、Um, There can be only one kind of fantasy, which is based on medieval、uh, Europe, and、mm. I wanted to write a kind of fantasy that doesn't really draw on that tradition as its aesthetic inspiration. I wanted to write a kind of fantasy that feels very different and draws on both very old Western epics and a lot of old、uh, Chinese and、uh, East Asian、uh, rom historical romances、mm. and, and legendary stories, and I want to combine these to create something that feels both. Familiar, but also very fresh to people. Because if you see it, it doesn't feel like it's Chinese. It doesn't feel like it's、okay. it's it's purely Western. It feels、mm -hmm. like it's some sort of thing that reminds you of these things, but feels、mm -hmm. new. Right, but is there any other writers who also contribute to the, this field called silk? No, no, I <laughs> I invented them.、Uh, well, I I don't know if if other people want to say that they write silk punk, they're welcome to say it.、Uh, I I I invented this genre for myself. You know, I I don't I don't care if other people want to use it or not. If they want to, they're welcome to. <laughs> if they don't, they don't.、Uh, and people can put all sorts of new meaning into that label if they want to. I mean, for me. I wanted to invent a term that would describe what I was doing、okay. very succinctly, so that people can get a picture of what it is I was trying to do right away.、Mm -hmm. Even though there's a lot of complicated nuances to what、mm -hmm. I'm doing、um, beyond that, but you know, when you're tweeting about your book, you have 140 characters to to talk about it, and so I wanted to find something succinct and quick that would be a shorthand for people to to know right away, get、okay. a visual image of what it is I was doing.、Mm -hmm. So I went with that.、Okay. But no, I. <laughs> I I I I also you know I'm also a very lazy person and and I my thought is if I'm doing working in some existing genre or subgenre、mm -hmm. then I have to read every book in that genre and understand what they're doing and then try to figure out how I can do something different and get、okay. the same and that's just not interesting to me I, I I read lots of books but I don't feel particular like I say I said to you earlier. I'm not particularly drawn to any genre labels,、okay. and I find genre labels very boring.、Mm -hmm. So, but for marketing purposes, you still have to come up with something that will be very quick and easy. So I said, well, the easiest thing to do is to just for me to draw a circle around my books、mm -hmm. and give it a new label. Invent that, a term. Yeah, invent a new term. That way, I don't need to worry about what other people,、okay. you know, have done. I,、mm -hmm. I'll just use my own thing. Yeah, I know you don't like to be labeled or to be recognized as certain types of writers,、mm -hmm. but I have to say there are many of your works are、uh, inspired or influenced by East Asia, like particularly China. So I was wondering, what do you think your own ethnic background kind of influenced your own writing? Well, they influence. I mean, I, I think、um, you know I'm an American writer, and、mm -hmm. so all American writers have their own unique perspective on what the American story is.、Okay. You know, if you read something like Frank McCourt, you know、mm -hmm. the the Irish、um, ethnic background and history is obviously very deeply influential、yeah. on his version of、mm -hmm. of the American story. And the same thing with、um, Langston Hughes or, or or anybody else who whose ethnicity gives them a very unique perspective on the American. Story, because you know, to be American means that、um, you do, in some ways, come from somewhere else, and、yeah. therefore you have to turn your story、mm -hmm. and your voice part of the American chorus and、mm -hmm. add it to that. So I think for my my novels and my stories, I that's I feel like, you know, as an American writer, how do I 
successfully and and do it with more uh, in a way that I find interesting. Add my own voice and my own unique background and perspective to、okay. the Great American Experiment and to the American、mm-hmm. chorus. My stories can be considered part of the Chinese diaspora, of course,、yep. uh, but uh, and and for me,、uh, that's a perfectly valid way to think of it. But I I like to think of all my work as just in some ways an experiment on the American、um, voice, and 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 adding something new to the American voice that hasn't really been done before.、Okay. And that's what soap punk novels are. You know, they're American stories, and they they're stories about. Um, the invention of a new people、uh, mm-hmm. from 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 disparate cultural and ethnic backgrounds,、um, and、uh, I, I like that. That appeals to me.、Mm-hmm. That was Shi Yu talking with lauded American writer Ken Liu on his storytelling approach and how his experimental, ingenious soup punk narrative challenges the traditional epic fantasy tales. Well, if you only know Ken Liu as the author of numerous books on science fiction, fantasy, and paranormal tales, you are definitely missing out. Turns out he's also a stupendously good translator. In translation, what I want to do is to construct the text in such a way that the interaction between the target reader and the text. Is meaningful and rich.、Mm-hmm. It's better than just merely reading something that was originally written in the target language. An unofficial ambassador who bridges Chinese science fiction with a broader range of Western readers, he translated two installments of China's all-time popular sci-fi saga, the Three Body series by Liu Cixin. The first volume, The Three Body Problem, won the Hugo Award, the first translated work ever to receive the honor. In 2016, Hao Jingfang's "Folding Beijing," which was also translated by Ken, snapped the Hugo Award for Best Novella. So after this short break, Shi Yu will continue her conversation with Ken Liu on his translation career. Explore the life of great wordsmiths. Share their stories beyond the pages. Ink and Quill brings you the voices of writers and book lovers. Talking about your interest in how Americans tell their stories,、mm-hmm. and I know for the past ten years you have been regarded as one of the most original writers in American literature.、Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm super curious about when and and why did you get interested in literary translation? Oh yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So you know, let me start with you know what I was doing, right? <laughs> Because I'm really, really interested in exploring the American voice and the American experience. So for me, all the Chinese ethnic background part and the Chinese language knowledge is just part of what it means to be American in my own way.、Okay. So I never thought about translation as a thing that I wanted、okay. to do because translation felt to me like not really related to the original work that I was doing. This is what I was doing, and I, I was reading in Chinese as well. But I never thought about doing any translation because、okay. because just. It never occurred to me that that would be interesting、okay. or or be, be be of any use. And then, you know,、uh, one of my friends,、uh, Chen Qiufan,、mm-hmm. sent wrote to me and and said, you know, I, I had my story translated,、um, and but I'm not sure if the translation is is good. Do you want to take、okay. a look? And so I took a look at it,、uh, and then I felt like the translation could be improved. And then rather than trying to edit that translation, I said, you know, can I just 
try to do this from scratch because I don't know what I'm doing, but okay. I feel like there's some way I can make a translation on this that that will capture your voice better. I'm Chen Chufan San Shuo, you know. So that's that's how I got into it. It's really entirely by accident, just because he showed me a translation that I thought could be improved. And、uh, I decided to try my hand at trying to see if I can do better than the translation I read, and that translation ended up doing pretty well. It, it was accepted. It was the first translation published by Neil Clark at Clark's World, and now、mm-hmm. Clark's World is, of course, one of the leading venues for translations, translated science fiction and fantasy stories、mm-hmm. in the U.S. And、uh, that particular story won Chen、uh, Chufan and me both、um, an award, and、yeah. so I thought that was very cool. And so I said, okay, maybe I can explore this a little more because one of the things about、um, uh, the science fiction and fantasy writing community is that all of us are fans, and and as, as fans, we we like to perform services to give back to the community to make the community better. And I thought, you know, one way I can do some service is to do the translation work、okay. and and to bring more interesting stories that. My fellow Anglophone readers would not be able to read otherwise,、okay. and to introduce new readers to my friends in China, who you know wouldn't necessarily have these readers abroad、mm-hmm. if if their stories weren't translated. So that's how that started. Your most famous translation work is Liu Cixin's. Yes. You know,、That's、three body series. I, I did the first book and the third book. Yeah.、Um, Joe Martinson actually did the second book. Yeah. I was wondering, have you found anything challenging in translating those stories from Chinese to English? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, you know, a lot of times people think it's the technical stuff that's complicated. Well, the technical stuff actually is very simple. I mean, I'm I'm very familiar with technical subjects, having、mm-hmm. worked in technical fields. Um, for much of my much of my career, the science technology stuff is easy, especially since a lot of times, because the Chinese jargon is directly translated from the English jargon、yeah. anyway, so translating them in English is trivial. The harder stuff is is always about culture and history because there are lots of culture practices and、yeah. and, and, and 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 parts that just don't have English equivalents, and then. I can't just explain everything、uh, in the translation either, because then it wouldn't it would break the flow and it wouldn't work well as a、just、novel. Losing translation. Well, I I don't like to use the term losing translation because that implies that translation is always sort of a bad thing, and、mm-hmm. and I don't I don't think it is. I think translation is just a recreation. You're creating something new,、okay. and and you're always trying to negotiate between the source culture and the target culture, and you're trying to figure out. Where can you find the commonality so that the author and the original text's implications and meanings can meet with the target readership's expectations and and frameworks in a way that is more than mere mechanical replication or a kind of reapplication of known stereotypes?、Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to negotiate that path very carefully to figure out just how I can make that meeting of both the reader. See. The thing is, you know, with with any kind of reading, not just translation, meaning is created by an interaction between the reader and the writer, between the reading mind and the text.、Yeah. The text is not the sole repository of meaning.、Mm-hmm. You know, before a piece of text can be unpacked, the reader has to pack it with her expectations and frameworks before she extracts meaning from it.、Mm-hmm. So, in translation, what I want to do is to construct the. The text in such a way that the interaction between the target reader and the text is meaningful and rich.、Mm-hmm. It's better than just merely reading something that was originally written in the target language.、Mm-hmm. I, I really think translations have to actually 
strive not to necessarily read as though we're originally written in English, because then what's the point? I, I kind of feel like it needs to do something slightly more to give the reader an experience that does feel new, and mm. and and uh, to give the reader a sense of the original author's voice and the mm. original author's commitments and the original author's sensibilities. Uh, I don't always succeed, but that's sort of the goal I strive mm -hmm. towards. Mm -hmm. And I know besides Lucasin's work, you you also have added and translated Invisible Planets. That's right, yeah, the this anthology. Yeah, the first, uh, first edition of Chinese. Uh, it's the first commercial uh, okay. anthology of contemporary Chinese science fiction, mm -hmm. meaning post-2000. Okay. Yeah. So is there any aspects like among those works you find uniquely, I don't know, Chinese? Yeah, that's a hard question to answer and even though it gets asked a lot, I, I don't think so. Okay. I, I think the difference between one Chinese author and the next Chinese author is greater than any kind of generalization you can make okay. between the group of all Chinese works and the group of all American works. I, I just, I think because both Chinese science fiction and so-called American science fiction are such vast fields okay. of many, many different unique voices. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to make generalizations like that that would not be um, overthrown by, you know, exceptions. And, okay. and so, and I also think like those kind of generalizations often replicate known stereotypes in a way that doesn't particularly help the reader understand. And mm -hmm. I, I don't feel like they elucidate. I do think that, you know, if there's, if there's anything, maybe because of the way many Chinese science fiction authors are very engaged with China's modernization and China's modern development, mm -hmm. they tend to pay more attention to the tension of development and, uh -huh. and then the, 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 the consequences of rapid modernization, perhaps in the way that many American authors no longer focus on or think about simply because America has not had that kind of experience. You know, modern okay. China has essentially gone through the same type of experience, same stages of development within a period of 30 years that in many parts of the world took 300 years. Mm -hmm. And so it's very hard. Um, it's, it, there are experiences in China that just aren't shared anywhere okay. else. And so I think that influences the writers to some extent mm -hmm. and in the way they approach these problems. But do you think, I don't know whether is there any a general perception about Chinese science fiction in America? Well, I don't know. You know, I don't pay a lot of attention to what people say, so I can't give you a definitive answer. I agree I've seen a lot of media reports that yeah. seems to say that there's a golden age of Chinese science fiction and there's a lot of interest in Chinese science fiction. But who knows? I mean, as you well know, you know, working in the field, sometimes we, we capture the sense of the, the zeitgeist of the moment correctly and sometimes we don't and maybe people are just interested in good science fiction stories no matter where they come from or maybe people are really interested in China and they think science fiction is a great way to understand contemporary China mm -hmm. or any number of other reasons why why that might be the case but I can't say I, I, I'm, I've got my yeah. finger on the pulse of, of what readers want. So I have last question. What do your readers can expect from you? So I'm working on the next novel in the Dandelion Dynasty series. Mm -hmm. So the series is scheduled to be a trilogy, so I'm working on the third book, and I'm hoping to have that done soon. And after that, I want to move on to a new um, novel that I'm thinking about. Uh, I can't say much about it, but it might have something to do with virtual reality and um, how to tell stories in virtual reality. So. That's, uh, that's the next thing I'm thinking about. 
American writer and translator Ken Liu sharing with us his thoughts on how to bring Chinese science fiction to the rest of the world. If you want to know more about Ken's works, you can go to his website kenliu.name or find him on Twitter by going to kyliu99. All right, it's time to wrap up today's program. Don't forget that there are always more interesting happenings in the literary world, and we will try our best to keep you posted. To learn more about us, you can follow our Facebook account China Plus, or simply download our podcast by searching the keyword "Ink and Quill" on iTunes. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host Yang Yong. See you next week.